Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda. This week on The Agenda, looking ahead to 2024, just what might the new year hold for geopolitics, trade and the global economy? Twenty twenty three saw China reopen for business post pandemic. US President Biden and China's President Xi Jinping meet face to face in San Francisco and low growth and high inflation almost everywhere. So what might twenty twenty four hold for the world? Joining me now to share his thoughts is the president of the Club de Madrid and former president of Slovenia, Daniel Oturk. 2024 will be the biggest election year in history. I think countries with more than half the world's population are going to send their citizens to the polls. But some of those votes are going to have more influence than others, aren't they? One has to be uh, realistic about the impact on, ele on elections, on, on international communication, international relations in general. I don't think that elections are decisive. Uh, there are other determinants which may have much stronger role on the state of international affairs generally. So I think that um, one has to think about, for example, exa the experience with the American elections back in 2020, uh, when you know uh, President Biden came in and it was expected that much will change, but in fact, not all that much has changed in the policies of the United States vis-a-vis uh, -vis other countries, in particular vis-a-vis -vis China. So I think one has to be very realistic in assessing what elections can bring and be aware of a variety of determinants which will be in place. You mentioned the, the United States, so let's talk about that. Big presidential elections, which will be the talk of much of 2024. What's at stake? The problem is that the United States is a deeply divided country, politically very deeply divided, and that has an impact on foreign policy. Now, the divisions are visible even you know, without elections, and elections will, also, will only deepen the existing divisions. So I think that the important thing for the world would be to engage with the United States in a manner which uh, strengthens international stability. Uh, I think that the year 2023 was in that context quite useful because it proved that frequent communication among key players of the world helps maintaining stability and that is at the end in the interest of everybody, including all factions in the United States. I think that that's the lesson to be kept in mind. And of course, having a very realistic understanding of the divisions within the American political system. You talk about other countries in the international sphere with influence. Um, interesting is India's story. Um, so what about India and the elections due there? Well, you know, I mentioned China in the context of American elections, and that will be, I think, by far the most important factor. India, I believe, uh, has demonstrated a pragmatic approach. India has its own interests. India, I don't think, will, be, uh, will allow itself to become an instrument of somebody else's policy. So I think that pragmatism of India is going to stay irrespective of elections. 
and that is something on which I think other partners can build, including China, for example, because uh, last year has brought a certain level of calm on the uh, you know, border issues and other issues that have been a burden on the relations between China and India before. So I think that pragmatism is the name of the game. It's not just elections that, that are going to shape the, the year ahead. What else is it, do you think, that's going to drive the direction of international diplomacy in coming months? I would emphasize two very different aspects. One is the unpredictability of key crisis situations. The situation in the Middle East is highly unpredictable. Uh, we do not know how this will turn and what kind of complications should be expected in 2024. And then there is war in Ukraine, which is also unpredictable in military sense and also in the political sense. So these things are going to have an impact, the unpredictability and possible deterioration as a result of uh, changes in the, in the political and military situation in those regions. But then on the other hand, I think the experience of 2023 was that the world needs dialogue among key players and that key players understand that very well. Uh, I'm referring to China-US um, uh, relationship, which is of course of critical importance, but also others uh, have to be involved in a variety of um, forms of dialogue. Now that will in, in, in require participation of Russia at some point. Uh, this is not yet the case, but I guess with time and perhaps uh, already in 2024, Russia would also have to be included. You mentioned the critical importance of China and over much of 2023, there have been several high level meetings between top Chinese officials and leaders in Europe, the United States in other places. Now, the message is about strengthening that strategic cooperation. Where do you think we've seen the most progress? Uh, well, I think that the progress that we have seen this year um, can be described in fairly general terms. I think that the discussions, meetings, um, inter interactions have helped to maintain a degree of global stability. And I think that the main lesson from all this is that the more they talk, the better. Now, it's hard to say what are the specific priorities of those talks. I'm personally not involved in any of them, so I, I can't say with precision or in a convincing manner. But I would say that, for example, when it comes to U.S.-China dialogue, there is a need to deepen the dialogue in the sense of preventing any sort of surprises in the military sense. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, in the military uh, situations, uh, things go out of hand as a result of unpredictable developments. I think that the level of unpredictability has to be lowered further. I mean, some success has been achieved already, but more success, more progress is necessary. Similarly, but in another area, European Union and China have to deepen their discussions in order to come to a better idea of which economic and other aspects have to be have to be, um, you know, uh, resolved to the extent they can be resolved, of course. And then I think European Union should abandon its uh, habit 
of lecturing China on how to deal with Russia and so forth. I mean, that doesn't help. And the European Union should think about that experience, the experience of non-lecturing China uh, quite carefully. In terms of the, the European Union, um, last year you, you told CTTN that the EU should forge a path of its own. Do, do you still believe that? Uh, well, I think that European Union has gained some experience. Of course, not all that experience has been positive. For example, European Union is paying higher prices for energy as a result of its policies, including its policies of sanctions, uh, one, uh, sanctions against Russia. So I think one uh, would require a degree of analysis, um, a serious analysis within European Union on what the experiences of past year or past two years bring and how the European Union should be um, should develop its policies for the future. Uh, one should also understand that EU will have uh, elections uh, in 2024, elections uh, to the European Parliament and the new Commission, and that will be an opportunity to look at past experience with a critical eye and see what is needed to uh, enhance the interests of the uh, European Union as Union. Uh, I think that that is a task that has to be addressed uh, in 2024. Um, and obviously that has to do with what some would term uh, autonomy or strategic autonomy. I mean, the strategic autonomy is a, is a demanding word, demanding concept. Uh, but then again, I think the question of what really serves the European Union interests should be in the mind of all those who will participate in elections and in other political processes in the European Union in 2024. Let's talk markets. The United States, the UK are more or less in recession. The EU is experiencing stagflation. Is the global economy on borrowed time? Well, the global economy is certainly not in a good shape and it's not uh, progressing very well. And I would like to emphasize in this context that some of the worst effects of this um, sluggish situation affect uh, developing countries, countries which have uh, meager uh, uh, space uh, for uh, fiscal, uh, you know, f f fiscal consumption that is limited fiscal space. And obviously that has subsequent effects on uh, health care, on education, on well-being of people. So I think that one has to be really very serious about the lack of progress in global economy. Uh, now, of course, each situation is different. Each of the major uh, actors in global economy has a different situation. Again, European Union will have to look very carefully at its patterns of uh, budgetary policies, its patterns of uh, investment and so forth. So, so I think European Union is uh, waiting for um, serious policy discussion uh, in 2024 and later. Um, and, and so forth. I mean, you know, this applies mutatis mutandis to all major economic players of the world. Uh, one very interesting uh, example will be China. China, as, as we know, has had an interesting meeting of the Politburo of the Chinese Communist Party. 
uh, it promised further work in terms of combining a growth that is dynamic and stabilization. You know, it's an ambitious concept which was advanced very recently, and we'll see how how that works, how how that will work in uh, in the future. And of course, uh, here again, one has to understand that each of these large economic players has its own ways of managing economy and um, shaping economy. And China, of course, is a very special case, so it shouldn't be seen in light of what the Western commentators normally uh, describe as you know, progress or lack of progress yeah, for China. Um, we shall have to watch the developments with great care and, and, and I believe also with a degree of hope. Daniel Oturk, thank you very much. My pleasure. As we heard there from Daniel Oturk, the world's economy is not in good shape as we begin a new year. So are we headed for another year of low growth, record inflation and high interest rates? Or is there at least a chance of some economic optimism? Alicia Garcia Herrero, senior fellow at the Bruegel Think Tank, joins me now from Hong Kong. Is the world a more scary and unpredictable place as we slide into 2024? Probably if we think geopolitics, uh, that might be the case because every year we we wake up with new surprises and that might still be the case this year, 2024. But as far as the economy is concerned, I think I have better news. 2024 is the year of normalization of policies. We had a little bit of that normalization on the fiscal side after COVID, which was magnificently extraordinary, you know, expansionary and 2023 helped us a little bit, except in the US, but monetary policy was frantically uh, high in terms of interest rates, inflation high, all of that was everything but normal in the West. And I think we're back to normality this year because inflation is going to be basically within target, both in the US and in the Euro area. And that means that interest rate will come down very aggressively, which is very positive for the whole world, because at the end of the day, these are especially dollar funding costs for everybody. So we're going to see at least 150 basis points lower cost of funding for the world. And in the case of the euro area, euro funding is going to be around 125. So this is very good news, very good news for 2024. You're super positive there, but I wonder where the market risks might come, might come from. You know, can, consumers, are, are they confident enough to get out there and spend? Every time we talk about normalization of monetary policy, the question is, is it because of a recession in the U.S. or at least a much lower growth in the U.S.? Is it because of consumption plummeting in the U.S.? Not really. It's because inflation is coming out. Every data point we get is still positive. So, you know, we I think central banks have to be praised for what they've done. They've managed to, to bring down inflation. And we now in 2024, uh, we just need not to spoil the party. The party means that we still need to make sure that these uh, rate cuts that are coming are consistent with economic conditions and that markets will understand that as a slow but steady normalization. Alicia Garcia Herrera, thank you very much. Still to come here on the agenda, preparing for Paris, we'll look ahead to what could be a record-breaking Olympic Games. 
Welcome back to the agenda. 2024 will be a big one for the world's sporting men and women. The Olympic Games in Paris, European and African Football Championships and T20 Cricket World Cup. We're here to run us through what we should be looking out for in the world of sport. Our sports commentators, Mihir Bose and Jordan Jarrett Bryan. Gentlemen, thanks for, for coming on the agenda. Now, Mihir, let me start with you, because we've got these major sporting events coming up for 2024. The big one, the Paris Olympics and Paralympics. What should we be looking out for? Well, first of all, Paris has finally got the Olympics. They've been trying for many, many years. And if we recall, London beat them when Paris was favourite. Uh, Paris will be holding it um, for the third time, equaling London. I think uh, the two things that have happened wider outside the wide area of sport. Paris is going to have an opening ceremony very different, not in the stadium. They're going to take people down, down the Seine. And already there's controversy about the fact uh, about the ticket prices for Paris because they're very, very high. Lord Sepko, um, head of um, international athletics, um, has been very critical about it. So we'll have to see um, the sort of people who turn up um, for these games. I mean, and, and there's a wider question about the the running of the Olympics, whether Thomas Bach um, will succeed in changing the laws and staying on. Georgian, I wonder what, what, what you think about this, what you're looking forward to, to, to seeing in Paris and what your hopes are for the Paralympic Games raising its profile. Yeah, well, the, the, the Olympics, first of all, I, I still feel we are living in this kind of post-Usain Bolt era. And what I'm hoping for is that we have a new superstar that emerges from these Olympic Games. I, I think the last... Olympics suffered from not really having a star. There were some great athletes, there were some great performances, but I think because Bolt was such a dominating presence across global sports and definitely the Olympics, I think when he stepped away and retired, I still think we're looking definitely on the track and field anyway for a new star. So I'm hoping that we, we have a new star that emerges from, from these Olympic Games. Um, the Paralympics is something very passionate to, to myself. I've covered the last three Paralympic Games. Um, I know many of the Paralympians and I know that that is a competition and a tournament um, with a collection of obviously sports within it. There's definitely growing and growing year on year. Uh, wheelchair basketball is a sport that I played for 25 years. So I'm hoping that GB, the slight bias there, can um, finally win their first gold medal. But I just think that the Olympics and the Paralympics really garners an, an energy and excitement in people that month to month aren't necessarily bogged down or bothered by day-to-day -day sports, but the Olympics and the Paralympics seem to bring out something that's so much more than just watching the technicalities and the day-to-day -day runnings of everyday sports. Jordan, let's talk money and sports. You know, Saudi Arabia has been splashing the cash uh, with its football pro league. Uh, they signed Cristiano Ronaldo, Jordan Henderson and the like. Do you, do you think this is something we're going to see more of in 2024? 100%. I think we're seeing the Middle East has made its presence felt across many sports, F1, boxing, football, um, and, and, and golf, and, and so many more. And I'm not actually anti it. I don't have a problem with uh, sports um, finding new parts of the world where it's got a dominant presence. Now, there'll be questions about where the money comes from, and there'll be kind of definitely political agendas that will steer whether you think it is a good thing or a bad thing. But I, I, I love sport, and if I get to see high-level sports in different parts of the world, and more importantly, those parts of the world get to see some of the mm. biggest competitions and athletes in the world coming to their country, coming to their region, um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm actually not against it. And, and I think this is only the start. I think it's the tip of the iceberg in terms of seeing a new world power um, having its presence and having its grip on some of the biggest sporting tournaments in the world. Well, talking of some of the biggest sporting tournaments in the world, let's talk football. Mahir, we've got the men's Euros going to take place in Germany and England are the favourites to, to win this one. It'll be their first uh, big football tournament win oh, for, for decades, right? First win since 1966, and I think um, Gareth Southgate, uh, if you like, has raised expectations. But what has happened, and this is crucial, the great powers like Spain and Italy are no longer that great. Germany, Germany is hosting the Euros for the first time as a united Germany, and, and, and they hosted, I remember, the 2006 World Cup. Uh, they didn't win that. So, But England, I think, if you look at England's group, um, they have a very good chance of qualifying, and the group to watch, of course, will be the one that has um, Spain and Italy. That will produce some of the best matches, um, I think, we'll see in the euros um, but England yes uh, I would put some money on England except that when I put money on something um, the, it's the bookmakers who profit so I shall have to be careful. Jordan like 2024 is set to be a lucrative year for women's sport I mean there's a recent report from Deloitte which says global revenue from elite <coughs> women's sport will be more than 1.2 billion dollars in three years ago it was well under a billion what's changing? I think what's changing is the recognition um, that there are so many phenomenal women athletes across many sports that deserve the attention and the remuneration that they deserve. I think for, for, for too long, there's been an assumption that women's sports is just inferior. Um, and, and that's just not the case. I mean, going back to um, the, the Olympics that we're going to see in 2024 this summer, I genuinely, gymnastics is the sport that I, I genuinely watch from start to finish. It's, it's probably the only sport of the Olympics that from start to finish just has me engrossed. And that is a sport that where the women for me have always uh, dominated and, and, and been and been superior to the men. I think we're seeing across other sports now, football, tennis, uh, rugby, cricket. We're now seeing that women actually are as good as the men. And in, in, in some cases, take England, they often win more, more, more than, 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 than the men. So I think what's changing is a realisation that actually this lazy uh, stereotype that women's sports and women athletes are inferior, I think we're, we're kind of checking ourselves on that. And actually, they're not inferior. And that is now bringing, as you mentioned, um, a financial blowback of people wanting to watch women athletes and women's sport in, in a way that I'd, I've never seen that before. And I'm very excited in 2024 to see some of the phenomenal athletes. We're going to Simone Biles, um, there's talk about Naomi Osaka making a comeback um, in tennis this year. Some of the best athletes in the world are women. And I think now there's people putting money behind that because that's the right thing to do. Let's talk cricket. The, 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 the T20 World Cup is going to be hosted by the US and the West Indies. Why the US? Well, I think cricket has been trying for a very, very long time to get into the US. I mean, you know, if one can uh, dwell a bit on cricket history and everybody who loves cricket uh, loves cricket history, the US used to be a great cricketing power, but that is a very long time ago. They dropped out when the uh, Imperial Cricket Conference was founded. They didn't want to be part of any anything associated with the word uh, empire. And of course, now in, 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 in America, there is a very large population from the subcontinent 
continent that loves cricket. There are also people from the West Indies. Whether it'll take off or not is, is, is difficult to say, but cricket is a very interesting game. You mentioned money and so on. Cricket is the one game that has actually gone into the hands of the non-European, non-white world because India is the powerhouse of cricket. It's the most important cricketing country in terms of money, not always in terms of field of play, but it has a good team. It got to the finals of the of the World Cup, didn't win it, lost to Australia, got to the final of the um, Cricket World Championships. And the in- and the Indians are keen to push it into, into America. They're keen to do it. And, you know, you say um, 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 America and the West Indies. You know, we in this country have this romantic image of the West Indies as one single country. It's actually a whole mm. complex a group mm. of islands. And the last time the Cricket World Cup was held in the West Indies, that is the, the 50-over tournament, it was a complete disaster. And the West mm. Indies are declining. And that, you know, that's sad. I grew up with great West Indian cricket, Gary Sobers, who I consider the greatest cricketer I'll ever see. You know, but, the, you know, West Indian cricket is declining. The whole of cricket is now based on franchise cricket. You know, how many individual players uh, can earn? We've just had the, the IPL, which has emerged as one of the most important tournaments. So cricket is becoming a very, very distinct sport. Football is interesting. Money is coming into football, but football is still controlled by the Europeans through UEFA and so on. The Champions League is the biggest tournament. So cricket, one must see as a very, very distinctive sport, which has gone out of the hands of the MCC at Lords, and I'm an MCC member, let me hasten to add, um, into the hands of the, of the Indians. Mihir Bose, Jordan and Jarrett Bryant, thank you both very much. But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the Agenda team here in London, goodbye.